0: This is mint
1: You know some people are
0: too just shy to, to
1: come up go up on stage and start start scanning, you know, making, making weird noises with your mouth. Trying to sound like instruments, it's really embarrassing and it's it's just uncomfortable. But I think you know, with starting your own thing, it's kind of like that. There are so many instances like that where you have to scat through. It. So maybe there, there are some similarities there. I'm from South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I moved to Japan. when I just turned 12. Okay. I lived in Tokyo. And, um, and then Tokyo became my home uh, since then, when I was 12. Uh, but I moved to Vermont,
0: in the United States, to go to a boarding
1: school called the Putney School when I was just turning 17. It's a progressive school, meaning that you don't have tests or exams. Every student uh, has to work in a farm. At some point, you have to work with the living animal, herding cows and milking cows. Um, so, uh, yeah, each student had to complete a work program, um, which consisted of, you know, uh, working with animals at some point before you graduate, before you can graduate. So, you know, it was a very odd, different, unorthodox kind of place. I've learned a lot. And then I graduated from Putney and and then moved to St. Andrews. Yeah, and since then I've been living in Edinburgh just from this month. Um,
0: So that's been my new home. Born in South Korea. Mm -hmm. How was that first experience moving to Tokyo Is such a massive environment Mm.
1: well so I was living in Seoul so Seoul is a pretty big city as well there are definitely big characteristic differences especially I think with people cultures uh, people culture I think Japan can feel a lot more kind of closed up and there is that kind of sentiment of not uh, burdening others so on one hand you have harmony you have really kind of society that works Um, harmoniously, but at the same time, I think that I probably had, I probably struggled a lot, even though I was in international school, um, finding meaningful friendships, Um, and particularly probably not not because of of necessarily that cultural sentiment, but I think that when I was a, a tourist visiting Japan, it was a very different feeling. Um, then when I was living there full-time, I felt a little slightly more lonely. But on the other hand, it gives you the opportunity to be closer uh, with your family. Yeah, Japan was definitely a, a different kind of experience.
0: So I know that when you were 17, self-produced and released your first single. Album, oh, no. yeah, yeah. Album. Tell us a bit about yourself as a singer-songwriter. Where did your inspiration come? And, like, what has music meant for
1: you so when I was 17 I released an album with um, a record company called Last Strong Music Entertainment Company in Japan they were a subsidiary of Sony Music Group um, and uh, they spun off and became um, a successful one of the largest indie labels in Japan and uh, just when I was releasing the album I, I started my second year in Putney School so you know I had to choose really between the two, and I decided that the best thing for me going forward was to stay in school and focus on, you know, that part of personal growth, and you know, I guess uh, get back in touch with music later on. But I started with uh, singing classical vocal when I was very young. I went to a, a primary school in Korea where uh, there was a big focus on uh, classical music. So, you know, from the first year, you're enrolled in orchestra. You have to either learn piano, violin, viola, or cello, or there are instruments you must learn. So you must be able to play at least one instrument. So for me, I already, uh, well, actually, so I started with piano and I hated classical piano so much that I started hiding books. Um, so my teacher decided that she cannot t- teach me anymore. Um, but instead, what I always asked, instead uh, uh, of playing classical music, was to learn how to play chords so I could sing started doing vocal lessons uh, started singing classical music that's how I first kind of got into music um, really initially was kind of pushed to me and then I realized that I want to do something different with it and I was able to to do that luckily and just around my fifth or sixth year of primary school then I started getting really into punk rock and kind of rock and roll so I formed the first band rock band in the primary school where it was, it was a Christian and um, the only contingency uh, the school gave me was that I played Christian music <laughs> so I started changing up Christian uh, pop music into sort of rock and roll got a lot of uh, criticisms for that uh, you know when I played at um, assembly where it's sort of like a Kind of a church thing, yeah. And then, and then from there, I wanted—I loved a film called *School of Rock*, and I wanted to be playing rock. And so I started learning piano, uh, guitar, drum. Started, you know, teaching myself. Um, told my mother that I really, really loved Disney music and music In general. I, kind of tenor, you know, I love those things, and <laughs> Jones Brothers, and I said I wanted to audition for Disney Entertainment in Asia, and uh, she jokingly, I think, said that, you know, every Disney star can write his or her, or her own song. So that, for me, was a motivation then to kind of get into songwriting. You know, obviously, you can't, you can't force yourself to write, but I, I had that in mind that, you know what, maybe I can write, I should write, and... Yeah, I started writing. Um, First song I ever wrote was called Dilemma. And, you know, from there I just started writing and I had kind of a a portfolio of dozens of songs that I had written. Um, And I happened to meet someone at a record, uh, at a recording studio um, where I was, you know, learning, uh, where I was uh, uh, practicing with my, my parents. And the the guy in the recording studio asked if I, if he could record some of my songs and send it to Sony, and basically that's how I initially kind of got involved with Sony. They called me back a few days later and ended up working with Lacroix. Yeah, and so that's how I got into <laughs> to uh, you know writing music and then releasing an album when I was seventeen. Since then, I've gotten into jazz. I I've realized my more of kind of old soul <laughs> so I love folk music jazz um, but still a big part of my life I think um, I'm eager to be further involved in music I at some point I see myself um, having my own entertainment company record company so definitely it's still a big part of me
0: so do you ever do you ever just put on jazz music in the restaurant yeah I mean I think
1: we initially started off with you know playing jazz I think mainly because I, I really love jazz and blues They're, you know, they could, they feel kind of rustic as to our stores. They're designed to be very sleek and, and I thought it needs to be more modern. We play more kind of ambient lounge music in, in the, in the stores, but we, you know, get involved in a lot of kind of rustic music, seeing, uh, jazz blues. Um, I personally think that there's a lot you can learn from jazz, especially performing jazz. Um, there's a lot of link between that and I think entrepreneurship in general. You know, when you play jazz, um,
0: okay.
1: yeah, you can't, there isn't a, uh, this perfect score yeah. um, there. You know, you have to adapt depending on who you're playing with, whichever band you're playing with, most of the time, you know, you, you are always going to be, um, you know, everyone's going to be solid soloing at one point, And if you're just kind of wanting to take on all that spotlight by yourself, you know, by yourself, no one is going to want to play with you anymore yeah you have to have that kind of intelligence emotional intelligence um, when you share a stage with other jazz musicians spontaneously I think there's a lot to be learned there and I think you can really play jazz better genuinely as you experience more because it's storytelling jazz is very much storytelling especially yeah and I feel like you need to experience more to live more to be able to tell that more genuinely, if I if I listen to me singing jazz four or five years back, I, I get really cringy because I know that you know four or five years ago me singing the same song, then I don't really have a kind of association to it. I, I
0: you know it's more superficial as to it means more as you experience more. I think uh, it's like
1: watching Forrest Gump. You know, at one point in your life, and then and several years later you watch again and it means something different to you. Yeah. So yeah, that's jazz.
0: Jazz and perhaps also entrepreneurship. I have a question for you. So, I I love jazz as well, and I think we can both agree that a lot of the jazz greats, Mm the legends, they're something else. Like, there's
1: there's. Were they were they like for example
0: like were they born like that? Did they grow into it? Did they learn their talent? Like, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Could you say the same about entrepreneurs? Like. Can you learn entrepreneurship? Can you learn what it takes to be yeah. a great jazz musician? I think you can learn to play
1: skills, You can learn to to play in the style of jazz. But you know, embracing jazz, I think you have to live it. Yeah, I think so. And then this is why I, I still, you know, I think every time I sing the play the same song, I think I I can get more can have more depth just because. It's not about the practice, you know, there's some extent to it, but it's more, you know, you, you have to experience it firsthand. Uh, and I think with entrepreneurship, there's so much you can learn, um, like classes where you go to lectures. And, um, but there is a reason why, you know, enterprise class, for example, in St. Andrews asks you to actually develop something and try it. And it's, you know, it's a lot more dynamic. In our store, had issues and then you have to solve problems right there unorthodox kind of problems that come at you and being able to be nimble and flexible knowing that things are not black and white and that's very important yeah yeah with entrepreneurship i think for me I, i guess the concept of it or the word i've i've learned since I was very young because my mother was that, and before the word entrepreneurship was really, really used so frequently. I I recall my mother always talking about what that word means, and you know she was a young founder and uh, uh, she was running a company just after she graduated from university went to the states uh, for a university and came back to Korea and started her own company. And at that time, it was very rare for a female CEO, or you know. And so I guess I, I grew up with her kind of around her workplace and it, it was quite natural to me the concept of that um, but that doesn't mean that I, I don't i don't think that is the only way you can really find yourself into it uh, i think there are plenty of examples but i think it usually comes with some sort of a kind of crisis and how you kind of can be flexible handle you know some people do just shy to, to come go up on stage and start start scanning you know like making weird noises with your mouth and Trying to sound like instruments—it's really embarrassing and it's it's just uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, with starting your own thing, it's kind of like that. You know, there are so many instances like that where you have to scat through, and so maybe there there are some similarities there. Yeah.
0: Would you say your you've kind of? I mean, Comunico has been a tremendous success. Yeah, well, so far, Andreas, uh,
1: maybe. You
0: know, and would you say you've kind of reached the point where? You are past the uncomfortable.
1: Now we're at a stage where we're starting to mature a little more, you know, a year and a half into the business. We've just kind of had a successful funding round, looking to expand um, and have our third store. We have other products that we're developing. Um, you know, we have a lot of employees now, um, But at the same time, you know, I think bigger the scale, bigger the, the problems get. And um, the problems are never ending. You solve one, and then there's next. There's always something next. So I don't think I ever feel fully comfortable. I I saw this image online. uh, I think it was Ink.com or maybe, uh, but it was a photograph of this guy on a this like remote tiny little island, just as big as his mattress, and he was floating in the uh, in the ocean. It's like waves hitting. I I feel like that a lot. I'm very very. Yeah, so it's, you know, usually when you're about to go to sleep, that's when everything kind of settles and then all these problems uh, you start to realize you have to solve and your head is always kind of full and uh, you know, sometimes you feel less creative because there are so many things just kind of coming at you all the time. You're tense, um, so I'm still learning. I, I've had a really difficult summer. I was the most anxious and stressed I've ever been, you know. But then there are also phases, like definitely. You just have to really enjoy and embrace the, the drops. Like the, the highs. Yeah, yeah, the drops, the, the excitement. Because yeah. uh, that's, that's what's really going to fuel the probably <laughs> most of your journey, which is like 10th, feeling anxious and uh, stressed. But um, yeah, we try to work on work-life balance a lot. Yeah. You know, we, we have this kind of, oh, we have to take care of ourselves and, you know, enjoy the weekend, take time off, but it's a balance um, I think
0: we are aware, uh, but uh, we can probably find a better balance. Yeah. When you talk about we, are you referring to yourself and your co-founder, Alex? Yeah, and, um, and your team? Yeah, our team.
1: Yeah. We have uh, our operations manager, Jack, Jack, who graduated from St. Andrews three years ago. He's great. Um, you know, he's really part of the team. So when we say we, it's mainly, you know, I'm thinking about him, the two of us, and then Jack is here managing the team. We're learning to be better, uh, be more effective in scaling, and uh, which means that businesses are process driven rather than the founders. And um, but at the same time, we know that uh, our second store is still premature, and we just spend uh, the hours that we need to to make sure things are good. So always, St Andrews is definitely the priority.
0: Interesting. Well, you would describe it as Korean Japanese fast casual. Yeah, so if you look at our website,
1: we've changed recently to um, minimal Korean food design. So, konbini means convenience store in Japanese. And I know there are kombinis in Singapore, um, but sort of originated in in Japan. You know, these are convenience stores um, located every block of the cities um, that uh, serve delicious, ready-to-go food products, hot and cold. Um, lifestyle items that make sense in the very place that you're in. So you know, if you're a nearby university, it'll be very different from where you're in nearby gyms. Um, lifestyle items will, will differ, but the model stays the same. It's very function driven, very simple, very convenient uh, and, you know, always consistent service. So those are the kind of the roots of Combinico, and then obviously we focus on elevation of the experience. Um, so it's style driven. The culture aspects very uh, our culture aspects are very important to us. You know, we focus on design, we focus on embracing technology, sort of challenging norm, trying to be more conscious of the environment sustainable. You know, we've opened our first plant-based cafe. You know, our plan for Edinburgh is to develop fully plant-based menu. Um, so going forward, we want Meko to be fully plant-based. And that's the goal. Using Korean heritage, you know, you could derive a lot of uh, inspirations from Korean Buddhist cooking, which is uh, vegan for the most part and uh, why we I guess drop the Japanese part um, is because I think it's important to focus on one and second you know me being Korean although I do love Japan and I think there's a lot to learn from we will really want to push the Korean identity because for me it's a personal uh, vision um, you know coming from Korea I think I I see that there's a lot of potential a lot of room for Korean culture to develop in the West yeah. and and um, you know, we had K pops and dramas and things like this, which are great. And then you've got Peggy Dumbo you know, coming, you know, real artists. No, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, so they're amazing artists doing uh, great things for Korea uh, and for the just uh, just cultural worlds um, in the West. And I want Kumini to be the main contributor. I, I really do. We push through food first and then experience the experience stores as a service. Um, the storytelling that we're able to do digitally and through our stores and then fashion, music, long term goal is to, you know, be a partner with artists like Pant Yo. Yes. I think it's it's possible. I think so. You know, we've got you know a lot of work to do, but I know that the vision will probably overlap and there are lots of things we can do together. You know, we worked with FS last year bringing a Korean fashion house. They've just launched their label in Korea, and we want to work further with them. And I want to push a lot of the Korean food food heritage as well. Panchan, the side dishes, the colorful, soul prepared, fast serve, very healthy, very conscious of the environment. We're very seasonal. You um, know, mm-hmm. we believe that the mm-hmm. dining table that is colorful represents different nutritions, different uh, parts of our, our landscape. And you know, that's that's why Korean uh, part is very important to us. As well as just, I guess, just. Uh, Culture in general.
0: Yeah,
1: their current food is kind of really about uh, seasoning, marination. Do you, know, you have different pastes that that you know, like the Japanese have the miso with the tonkatsu jam, chang is, which is a paste, uh, fermented pastes. Mm-hmm. There's so many different kinds of flavors, colors, and because fried chicken is modern invention, yeah, I mean we've eaten since while while before, but it's it's uh, very much known and I think.
0: The lesser known humble classics mm. that can be restylized. Yeah, like, like kimchi. People yeah.
1: think there's just one kind, but you know there. I remember growing up, there was a there's a book in my shelf called Five Hundred Different Types of Kimchi.
0: Seriously, do you yes. still have this book? I would like I, to read. that. Well, we can
1: find that online for sure. <laughs> but you know, I remember having dead kimchi, which is white kimchi. You
0: know
1: okay. uh, Very elegant, uh, subtle flavors. We didn't really have we used like spicy peppers until. Portuguese brought to the Japanese and Japanese brought to us. I believe that's the case, you know, 15th century around. So it's a, it's a very modern thing. People kind of see it as a, the total dimension to current food, usually, you know. And, and I've got a lot to learn, but we've got a lot to learn. And that's the part of the journey is that we have to learn as we go.
0: Dig a little deeper.
1: Dig a little deeper.
0: Do you have any plans then to do sort of like a field trip where with yeah. Alex and
1: kind of go. Yeah, so actually, uh, we were supposed to do. Um, Japan trip last year together because I wanted to show him convenience, yeah. convenience stores. Um, he ended up going and stayed with my my, my mother. and, uh, But I couldn't go because I I was waiting for my entrepreneur visa to come out. So I couldn't leave the country. I'm going to Korea this year by myself. And I think I'm going to make it a, a purposeful trip in that sense. You know, I'm going back with, uh, I guess, uh, passion to discover.
0: What would that look like? So you get off the plane tomorrow. Where are you
1: going to go first? Um, it's a complicated uh, <laughs> yeah place for me, Korea. so you know I've got, I''ve got a lot of passion for the country, but at the same time, I don't really want to live there and it's difficult, you know like on one hand do you, you want to do something, I think for the country and through that you also want to discover yourself and do things that you love, but on the other hand, the very country that I'm driving those things from I don't really want to be. Living in until I'm much older, so you know, and I unfortunately find myself quite stressed in Korea. I don't. I feel quite uneasy. My exam gets really bad there, and so it's a it's a bittersweet place. At the same time, and I think uh, having experienced progressive education education in Japan, here in Europe, and then Korea, obviously. I know that a lot of things should change in Korea. We've grown really quickly. We've grown, we've become an economic power, uh, middle class uh, strong. But I think a lot of values need to change, especially values in education. Everything's quite standardized, and I don't think that it really cherishes individuality and people's uh, pursuit of things that they actually love doing. As to in in Vermont and Putney, I, I experienced what it's like to strive for something that you truly enjoy doing. And by doing so and making a learning experience, you have a higher chance of actually making it into a career. And that's what Putney School has done for me. And I feel like a career can do some of that. I think that will help with a lot of a lot of youth committing suicide pressure. You know, we have the highest rate of suicide youth
0: in the world. In the world. Is that balance between like, the demographic
1: men and women? I'm, I'm not sure, but I think pretty balanced, I'm thinking, but I think more male. I, I have um, a friend who's committed suicide. I, I knew him from Tokyo. He moved to Korea to attend high school in one of the top foreign language high schools. So, you know, everything's ranked in Korea. You know, I think even you, your rankings, academic rankings are like publicized, which is terrible. And I think he couldn't handle pressure. Yeah, yeah. These these things shouldn't happen. And I think best way to influence it maybe to become an example. And I feel like I can't really do that in Korea. I feel I do feel very strongly about it, though. So
0: you'd like to go back once. Yeah, um, been like a model for other people
1: too. I, I I mean I guess not. You know, become a model for people, but I. You know, there should be an example where you can point at it and say, look, you know, this person done it differently. This there is no right formula for this. And I feel like then the parents can point at it. It doesn't have to be, it just can be someone like William Kim, who's a Korean Korean, uh, Korean American, who was a CEO of All Saints. And so if this pursuit, like if this path is making me unhappy, making me miserable and depressed, and then it shouldn't be that way. You know, I should really f- focus on discovering, not caring about. It. The academic judgment, the kind of judgment from society overall, which is I feel like is the truth, uh, is the reality in Korea.
0: So I I went to like majority of like international schools and I had a lot of friends who are in Korean. It's hard because you want to hang out with them, but guess what they're doing on Saturdays? Studying? Yeah. Yeah, academic schools school. Yeah. Saturday school. Yeah. Even summer as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very Asian Honestly, like what you've said about your your feelings towards, do I want to be based in South Korea now that I have a love for my country? I would say this, like I feel the same about Singapore. Mm. So do you think that comes from the fact that you've been there, but then you've, you've seen something else, you've had a different perspective? Mm.
1: Being Korean, having lived in Korea, spent my childhood there, then moved to Japan so on. So forth, I think was very, very important. Important because sure, I really appreciate values that I've learned in the U.S. in the U, in, in Europe. Thing which is mainly to do with individuality, pursuit of your own happiness, passion. Kind of there's less judgment over, You know, if you
0: were to try to start a company when you're seventeen, 18 like in Asia, it's
1: you know, it's, there's there are Confucius values that that make it very difficult. And just, uh, actor age that's what I always hear in Korea actor age like I think yeah. that's the worst thing um,
0: because the culture kind of tends to like you You look up to your elders and you yeah. respect
1: like and lifelong yes and there are there is a certain level of wisdom that comes with age for sure a lot of people but there are some people that can just sit around and just age and you know, they probably are not as you know, why is this a, a lot of 20 year olds Like, you know so I think you, you you can pack experience but it's not you don't pack the same amount of the time so you know I, those are values I've learned here but in coming from Korea I think the values that I've learned are to be polite and to be uh, to understand what it is to be uh, of help and of, of burden to uh, be aware of how others are feeling I think that kind of sympathy empathy those things were um A big part of my upbringing and the values that I've learned in Korea. Respecting elders, you know, also, I think appreciation for small things, especially with Japan, Korea, where things were very scarce. We were very, very poor. Yeah, I think work ethic and all these things. So there are definitely values that I couldn't have learned. I think that's also why I believe Kumini will be a special, different kind of, you know, let's just say, new generation fast food company, because. There are certain values that we will inherit that just really aren't possible for other companies to inherit mm-hmm. that compete against us, whether it is related to service, sense of design, or in the space.
0: Would you say, so I know that your four design values for Communico beauty, mm-hmm. function, convenience, mm-hmm. and environmental impact. Mm-hmm. Would you say that. You so was were, there a minimalism, though? No, there was a minimalism there. I would say minimalism is something that might threaten.
1: I think the beauty was replaced by minimalism because we we just sort of assumed that minimalism is beauty and uh, but yeah, yeah. so function of minimalism, environmental consciousness, convenience, yeah. There yeah, there are there are lots of things have changed since then. So we have Korean heritage as one of our core values now. Minimal minimalism as the other, environmental consciousness. Um, and I believe by being minimal you also can Can be function and simplicity and and convenience oriented. Korean heritage, um, it's just a big part of who we are. Food, the way we go about things. Although we we have Jack, who's who's proper Scottish, and that's great, you know. But it's, you know, we know we're doing something. I think we're in the right direction. If you can inspire someone to be on board of something that it comes from a different culture, because it should be value oriented, it shouldn't be just just culture oriented. And I think we're focused on the values that. That current heritage inherits, rather than the current heritage itself, and then obviously environmental consciousness,
0: obviously, which
1: I think we need to learn more about, and because we are making a lot of assumptions. But our business model, focusing on university towns and cities, that allows us to engage with a lot of academics and you know thinkers in this field, researchers, and we should talk to them. We should take you know those opportunities, and I think it's my list to email the sustainable, sustainable Development Department in St Andrews. We actually want to learn how we can make a difference going forward. The problem compostable packaging will help, you know, but really like what, what are the ways to really assess those things? Um, we should have metrics, clear metrics, not, not be emotional about, Oh yeah, salmon comes locally. So we should get salmon, but salmon farming happens to be most polluting or whatever. Like we need to have more substance. A lot of companies just kind of go about it where, you know, marketing is, is it? Yeah. But we have to inherit those values and focus on doing a great job and few values because we're not going to be able to do a great job you know focusing all of them like sweet green focuses on making communities healthier in the United States that's a big mission and um, I know they care about supply chain it's a big part uh, local empowerment and sustainability but at the at the end i think it's it's about making communities healthier you can do that by empowering suppliers locally you can do that by giving nutritious food to everyone they're redefining fast food experiences and so forth. Obviously their price point is quite expensive with, with hopefully like scale yeah, they can make it more accessible to people. But th- that mission is very clear in terms of their commitment to environmental consciousness. Um, I think we need to be more on
0: more Definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah more clear about what it is that is most important to us. And we've been doing a lot of brainstorm sessions recently. And a big part of that was going plant based. And plan
0: based personally?
1: So I'm not, and this is, I think, also a big challenge that I'm still struggling with. I know that I've tried to cut down on meat consumption and try to be more conscious about where they come from. But for me, I need to be data driven, objective about this. I need to sit down with a you know professor, researcher uh, in this field, and I really want to learn so I can make decisions for myself, and hopefully that reflects the company we, we build as well. You know, I we I commute up in my car. You know, although it's, it's fuel efficient and it's, it's, you know, greener, you know, there are other ways if we really cared to, uh, to make an impact on our personal lives. I have a classic motorcycle, you know, from the sixties, you know, engine from the sixties, one cylinder engine that probably isn't great for the environment. You know, how do you juggle those things? I, for me though, it's the impact that be Co as a company can make is a lot bigger than I can make as a, you know, as an sure. individual. Doesn't mean that I should. You know, I shouldn't care. But, you know, like, uh, that's, yeah, that's something that I need to think a little harder on. Do
0: you have any brand inspirations? Like you mentioned, sweet greens. Massive, yeah, I, I
1: honestly massive. really, really appreciate what they do. But
0: they've um, been going for maybe like 12 years. You know, 10, 10, 12. Yeah, 10 to 12. But they started you know, started with three students
1: yeah. in Georgetown. They, I think, value kind of cultural identity with food. Uh, although they don't have cuisine heritage. I think their customers absolutely love the brand. They have a tribe. Um, it's a
0: community experience and they do a lot. Yeah. Bringing people.
1: And together. working with artists. Yeah. They used to have the Sweet Life Festival. Yeah, they did. They stopped it because it probably wasn't a good business model. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, sweet Green is definitely one. I, I think that... If we focus on values and grow and scale, sweet green could be one of the potential buyers. I, I, I think Sweet Green could be a, or should and should be interested in what we're doing. Um, I know they're trying to develop blockchain to better uh, get better information yeah. where the traceability. Yeah, they've got apps more than fifty percent of the customers go up through apps. We've had this idea since before we even knew Sweet Green. We had the idea to go cashless. Um, since before we knew Green and they're cashless in the United States they get a lot of shit for that actually we get a lot of shit every day <laughs> still today a local uh, lady uh, complains that you know what we're doing is unlawful that we don't print uh, receipts physically and I think that that is something we should compromise on those things we can act on however with cards it's difficult you know blue bottle coffee is another one. They're, uh, Tell
0: me a bit more about them. Where are they based? They're
1: based, their basis, they were based in San, San Francisco. They're a specialty coffee company. They scaled their brand very effectively. They were acquired, I believe, by Nestle. They've got they've attracted a lot of tech tech investors uh, early on, which is very different uh, for a food company. How they scale. Sweetgreen is another example too. You know, those are two companies to me that have defy the way food and beverage companies are supposed to scale, that they're supposed to scale. You know, it is a tough business, but it's it's not scalable as tech. And, and true, because it's such a people business, but not scalable is not true. They focus on developing uh, a brand and a model that's simple, that people can really love. And that that love, that passion is what scales the brand. And then you have developed a brand brand. Um, that is replaceable. Then there is a tremendous value. That's how you can scale. And so those are the two food companies that I, I respect a lot. I mean, Apple is obviously one. Um, <laughs>
0: Where's <the> turtleneck? <laughs> I, mean, I, I like this. I like this
1: turtleneck since I was a little, little boy. Definitely, I did.
0: Congratulations for your recent crowdfunding. Thank you. You've raised just like over two hundred thousand pounds.
1: So probably two sixty. Yeah. I think. Oh, yeah.
0: That's incredible. And one thing that I wanted to know is your investors, Mm -hmm. their profiles. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, 2% of venture capitalists are women. Yeah.
1: It's really great that yeah. a lot of your angel investors are women. Mm-hmm. Yes, Sanya Alexis, they're the two early investors and are doing amazing things in their fields. Uh, we met Sanya through Investing Women, which is the largest angels, women only angels syndicate in probably the world. They're based in Glasgow. We pitched to them last winter and Sanya decided to come out of the syndicate invest solely.
0: You're opening at Well, the plan is to open at the flagship in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. What are the plans?
1: So, if you look at Communico and then you look at Combinic Cafe, I think you'll see significant differences. First, one is a co and then one is a cafe. The business model is very different. But if you look at it experience-wise aesthetics, I think that you know our customers would be able to tell that the Combinic Cafe has really elevated the store design. I think we have more depth in the way we go about design experiences. But at the same time, Kumika was a, is a bootstrap, you know, project where we had very little money to start something very quickly. So, you know, our facade, we just had to paint over. We had a really grand vision for designing a beautiful small space. And I think, you know, we, we were able to design something that is, that is pleasing and interesting for sure, but we knew that there was a lot more that we wanted to do that we couldn't do. And with Cafe, we kind of, Mini Cafe, we went about it in a way that was sort of more concept-focused first. (sighs) Maybe we could have done a better job in budgeting more effectively, but, you know, you learn. And uh, so Edinburgh will be a compromise between those two. The part that we won't compromise on would be the experience in the best way possible. We're not going to be able to use Hologram. We're not going to be able to develop an app right now. You know, but we can do a lot. For example, we're thinking about, you know, driving much of the inspiration from fashion retailers, where you don't really have a, a till. But we are thinking like an island in the middle of this shop, where it's kind of cube and uh, cubic, and and you have four sides. You can go to any of those tills and shop. You know, oftentimes the sales staff would come out and help. You know, they walk around with you like an Apple store. Uh, we're trying to be more kind of fluid in terms of that shopping experience. Of course, if we were to have an app that that customers can just use to purchase, then we almost have no need for a tail. And everyone can be just floating almost. So we try to design kind of the five-star experience. This is how the Airbnb guys kind of says about the five-star experience. And then you kind of scale it back to what is most realistic. But keeping in mind that that five-star experience is a vision. So... You know, we're thinking about, you know, the walls with holograms, the products, information and each product has its own hologram, you know, you would, you would be able to interact when the product comes out from below, which is warm, or if it's chilled, then it's chilled. We're trying to combine kind of ready to go experience with made to order that way, try to automate the sales experience by giving power to the, uh, to the customers through the apps, um designing space that is incredibly minimal there are you can't see any fridge display or hear the noise of these uh, fridge engines and there's there are lots of things we want to do but I think Edinburgh will focus on plant-based focus on you know uh, trying to have ourselves staff interact in a different way than just having a kind of a station uh, till mm-hmm. we're gonna use Bluetooth speakers because Wi-Fi speakers cause us so much trouble <laughs> this keeps stopping and really bothers me bothers all of us the yeah, so, but the biggest thing is, is trying to re- redesign the menu. Plant based entirely, that's a difficult task. And, uh, you know, we have limitations, which is that we have fridge displays and heated displays. The best way to make delicious food products fast is made to order because they're warm. You can, you can combine flavors and it's fresh out the. But I think it, we think it's very important that we go product centric. And you can only do that when you assemble the product. Um, and either you take the order and do that, or you pro- you assemble the product an hour, two hours before, and it's in the display. Differentiating between a product that is better chilled and better hot, because a lot of our medieval products taste really good when they're hot, and they taste good when they're chilled. You know, like
0: it's, the experience sounds a bit like an Apple Store. I see where that's coming from, and uh, a museum. museum. Really getting, them, really getting that. Um, if you go in, would you say it's a place of calm or is it very much?
1: First thing is very sleek, very yeah. moderate. I don't think it's comfortable space. You know, both our stores feel a bit cold. But that's why we always tell ourselves stuff you know, we have to be extra warmer.
0: So it's really the people. The people and the products that are highlighted because of the space. Yeah, but I think
1: it's, you know, we we went to different Many different ready to go places like Itsuo Wasabi, Bento. And what we've realized is that there, there's a lack of excitement when we enter. Even Pret as well. I mean, I respect Pret a lot. <laughs> They're kind of the fathers of the, the fathers and mothers of this uh, industry, ready to go. There's a lack of excitement. It should make you uh, be a little more curious. I think when you see people coming in the cafe, they look at the the bar systems, which is, you know, the the tabletop is just very sleek, made with condensed paper. And uh, you have these machines that are just coming up like beer taps with their coffee machines, white, open kitchen, all white. And then you've got your left this glassed uh, kind of retail shelves with... Uh, and then behind it is this archway from the 15th century and it's it's enticing it makes you very curious um that's the kind of excitement that's the kind of uh
0: curiosity we want to generate that's what i mean by museum
1: mm. and my mentor jeff would always ask me what problem are you going to be solving with Comico?" and that was really challenging for me i had to really make up things like we're, ch- we're solving problem solving convenience food convenience so initially, we were like, convenient eyes, let's, let's focus on making food experience more convenient and things like this. And it just wasn't fulfilling enough. I think at the core of it, Alex and I share something more uh, creative and artistic. I think we we're more focused on, yeah, I think providing something joyous and beautiful to everyday lifestyle. I think that is, that is
0: our sentiment. And we believe that we can scale that. It's really great that you guys are also on board. How, what was the moment? That you, that you both knew that you were in in this together? Yeah, when we were
1: doing it in, you know, tens of hours per day in uh, the store uh, from uh, making all the products serving uh, customers to be scra- scraping of rice off the floor <sighs> that's when we knew and uh, you know, first night we were, we had maybe a first night before opening we had three hours of sleep and they we came out and we were just like, like zombies we lost so much weight and that's when you know, you know, we, we're on this, we're in this together. Um, there's
0: no turning back. And, um, yeah, that was it. That was it. That, that was a good day. Well, thank you very much, Janelle. Thank you.